0: Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at infothedistrict.church? Well, good morning. How are we doing this morning? Good. Excellent. My name is Josh. I'm one of the lead pastors here at the District Church. Um, And before we get started, I want to go ahead and dismiss all of our big kids from ages 3 and up. Uh, We are sending you all to the little district big kid class where you will learn the gospel and be able to share in community with one another. That's awesome. And all the mothers in here say amen. (laughs) Amen. Oh, man, that's so good. Um, Well, again, um, as we've said multiple times this morning, happy Mother's Day to the moms. I would be remiss if I didn't say happy Mother's Day to my own mom. She's not here in this facility, but she is watching online. If you haven't gotten a chance to meet her, I do hope that you are able to one day. Um, I will tell you this. There has not been a woman in my life who has taught me more about the Christian faith than my mother. She is a faithful woman of God, a godly wife, a godly mother, and in God's kindness was able to lead me to how Christ and lead me to Christ at an early age. And so I am indebted to her, and I hope when you see me or when you hear me preach or when you hear me talk about my faith in Christ, I hope that you see a piece of her, as Paul talks about in Second Timothy one five, when he's reminded of Timothy's faith that was shown to him. From his mother Eunice, and so I do hope that you get a chance to meet my mom one day. Um, for all the moms here, as well as all of the women in our gathering, if you haven't already seen or haven't been able to get a flower and a cookie at the end of the gathering, um, we have a gift for you guys. Um, if you wanted to get up and kind of get a snack during the sermon, you can also do that. I'd understand it, uh, nor would I be offended by it. But uh, this is our gift to you all, and I want to make uh, again that clear. That that goes for every woman in here this morning. Um, we, as we've talked through our lament, as we have uh, praised in our exaltation, want to be sensitive and recognize that the effects of sin are still very present, and not every woman in here has been, the affor- has been given the blessing of children uh, or a spouse, um, and so we don't want to just highlight um, or give gifts just to the moms, although you guys are Great, and we're so thankful for what you've done. But we also want to highlight all of our women that God has given to us here at this church as image bearers who have full dignity, value, and worth. Um, So please take this gift from us um, and know that it is just a small token of what you mean to us here at the district church. Um, If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to Genesis 1. I know that we have uh, been in this book um, the last couple of weeks. Um, If you haven't noticed, though, most of if not all of our uh, doctrines or our beliefs or where we're going to start formulating what we believe uh, begins in genesis as one commentator put it all good theology starts in genesis and so we're continuing our series this morning walking through the christian story christian belief and christian formation seeing how God has revealed himself to us through his word and through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so last week we took a look at the Christian story when it came to creation. Actually, the last two weeks, right? We've looked at how God in the beginning was there within the Trinity, um, and they existed, and they still exist, and exude love. And the following week we saw how in that love God created. He created the heavens and the earth. And so this week what we're going to take a look at is the Christian belief of what we see in Scripture of how men and women are designed and how they are to be co-laborers of what God has called the cultural mandate or what we have called the cultural mandate and the Great Commission that God gives us through Scripture. And so we are starting off in Genesis 1. Now, I want to lay some of my cards on the table um, because what I am going to explain this morning uh, in regards to what we believe uh, is going to be a lot of more head knowledge, uh, right? I'm, I'm going to try to stray away from how it forms, how we live. Dwayne's going to get that wonderful task next week, and I, I, I think it's just as hard as what I'm doing this morning. Um, so hopefully I can set him up well. Uh, in what we believe uh, or through what we believe into how this complementary design forms how we live. Now, if you've walked through our DNA class or if you've been around Dwayne Ransford or myself when it comes to the discussion of men and women and how uh, we see God has designed them, um, we, laying our cards on the table, are complementarian. And what that means in regards to complementarianism The doctrine of how both men and women are created equal and distinct. So the key word here in this definition of what we believe is that men and women are both created equal and distinct. Both have value, dignity, and worth. Both are meant to rule and reign and take dominion over the world on God's behalf through both the cultural mandate and his great commission. But both are also distinct. Distinct from one another. And here's why I bring this up. And my prayer for today as we walk through this belief is that you will see a beautiful design that God has given to both men and women uh, on earth as well as in the church in order to bring him glory and to grow his kingdom. Now I'm fully aware that when I say a doctrine of complementarianism, some of you, some of you have received harsh or domineering type of talk or acts or have seen it played out in a way that doesn't bring glory to God. I'm fully aware of this. But I want to come out and say that this doctrine doesn't give us license to do whatever, especially as men, to do whatever we please and call this submission. What God's beautiful design for men and women is not a patriarchal system. It is not about gender inequality. It is not about male dominance and female subjugation. And it is not the abuse of women, either physically, mentally, or spiritually, or anything of the like. All of these things are wicked. And Christ hates them. They are in no way a picture of what God has designed a marriage to look like, or the relationship between men and women. In fact, these are gross examples of what God has designed for men and women to flourish. Now, the reason I bring that up is because I understand that this doctrine can bring some tense conversations, some tense feelings. However, just because there have been those who disregard God's good design to fit their own sinful desires does not mean that we can take the pendulum and swing it all the way to the opposite side. What we need to try to do is go to the scriptures and see God's beautiful design for men and women in the church, both married and single, co-laboring together as brothers and sisters of the family of God. And when we do this, when we live in this beautiful design, we are able to fulfill the cultural mandate And the great commission that's been given to us as men and women, as children of God. And so how we do this, when we take a look at the creation account, uh, how we formulate this belief, I want to show you through three points. And you might have heard these three points if you've been around the district church. If you've been around and you're hearing something new, um, I'm going to feel very, very disheartened. So hopefully these sound familiar to you. The way that we establish these beliefs from creation is we understand that we are created as men and women by God and for God. We are created as men and women by God and for one another. And we are created as men and women by God and for others. So again, hopefully, if you've been around the district long enough, you know that our vision and mission is to glorify God by making disciples, right? We are for God, for one another, and for others. And when we understand that this beautiful design that we've been given, where we have been made by him and for him, and that our lives as the people of God are not our own, but made to live in relationship, and not just superficial relationships, but a familiar one that seeks to show and uphold The one and others that we find in the New Testament. And not only that, but we are to live a life in relationships with others, sharing the light of the gospel in a dark and dying world that needs to see this beautiful design played out. When we understand this, God is glorified. The gospel is put out, and his kingdom grows. And we are faithful to who he is. So my prayer this morning is that we get to see this beautiful design from Genesis 1 and 2. So let me read starting in verse 26. And then we're going to jump over to chapter 2 after verse 28. Moses writes, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the flesh, Jump with me to chapter 2, starting in verse 18. If you're not familiar with how Genesis 1 and 2 operate, Genesis 1 is kind of this 30,000-foot overview, right? And so what we just saw is, is that flyover. And so now we get to come in very close and see how God created both men and women. Starting in verse 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. This is the word of the Lord. Let us go to him and pray and ask that he will show more of his beautiful design this morning. Lord, thank you for the grace that you've given to us in Jesus. Thank you for the good gifts that you've given to us in mother's. And Lord, I pray that as we look at this beautiful design that you've given to us through your word, we we would have a higher view of both men and women, and, and we would have a higher view of our call as the people of God to live in such a way that puts this design on display so that the dark and dying world around us can see how you've designed this to be, for our joy, and ultimately for your glory. I pray that we would see that this morning through your word. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we ended last week with God creating both the heavens and the earth, a part of that creation is mankind. Male and female, as we just read, God created men and women, in his image and in his likeness. And then he gives them a command. But the first thing that I want to see in this creation story of mankind is this fact. God created male and female. This is where we get our definition of personhood and gender. It is where we find God's design for both men and women. And to deviate from this is to get away from God's good and beautiful design. You see, it's God's definition, not culture's. It's God's definition of masculinity and femininity that is an integral part of his plan for humanity. And it is defined here in his word. You see, the proper role of both sexes in this mandate is crucial for God's design for human life and for them to flourish. This means that there is no place in God's created order for any diminishing or confusion of sexual identity. Human sexuality in Genesis is sacred for the created purposes of God and it is essential in carrying out the cultural mandate. See, what we find in Genesis 1 and 2 is that it affirms that sexuality is not an accident of nature, it is not a biological phenomenon, but rather it is a gift of God for our joy and his glory. No matter what society or culture tells us, we have to stand firm here or else the foundation of God's good and right design begins to crumble and the image of God is not faithfully shown. We are created by God and for God as male and female. Now this does not give us license to then go treat who does, those who do not subscribe to this belief or this understanding any less than the image bearers that we are called to give others. Those people who believe that this is not true and right, their distortion of the image of God does not lessen or diminish their worth, value, and dignity. And it should be a joy of ours as believers in Christ who have the truth and the true understanding of how God designed men and women to be. It should give us a joy to be able to share that and shine the light of the gospel in their lives. It it does not give us license to treat them any less so the first thing that we see in creation is that God designed man and woman, male and female, he created them. But we also see that in, male and fe- in the creation of male and female, he gave them equal value and distinction in functions and roles. You see, Genesis 1 and 2 give us this, Genesis 1, as I said, gives us this scaled back view of how God created all things to be, Right? And what we notice as we read through the creation account is that everything is good. As we read through this story, we find that Eden was very good. The natural world was peaceful and right. Work was even good, which is crazy to think about. There were no viruses. There were no thorns and thistles. There was no power struggles. Just a true, honest day's work under the glory of God. And the garden as we see God's presence with Adam and Eve was a kind of temple where God dwelt and this was good but we notice in Genesis 2 that there was one thing that even before the fall if it was left as is it would not be good does anybody know what that is for man to be alone this is what we see in Genesis 2 is the, the, the chapter zooms into creation. We see that God created all things good and then as Adam is naming the animals and he's looking for a helper that's fit for him, there's a refrain that it was not good for man to be alone. So what I want us to see right off the bat was that man could not fulfill the cultural mandate that God had given him in the garden without a helper. Now please, when I say the word helper, I don't want you to get this negative or decreasing value of of somebody's personhood. The helper's worth and value is not decreased in this passage. In fact, this word helper is used primarily in the Old Testament to describe God's relationship with Israel. Israel. We find this in Exodus 18, Deuteronomy 33, Psalm 33, Psalm 115, Psalm 124, and Psalm 145 all describe God as Israel's helper. As one pastor puts it, we tend to psychologize Adam's aloneness and interpret helper along the lines of comfort and companionship. Now, that's not completely false, however, Helper here cannot be divorced from the broader concerns of the cultural mandate. It was not good for man to be alone by himself because he could not fulfill the task that God had given him. He needed woman fit for him in sameness and likeness with both dignity, value, and worth. And then we find tasks given in the cultural mandate. And these tasks could only be fulfilled by a certain sex. But they could not be fulfilled by one sex. They could not be fulfilled by just man or just woman. They could only be fulfilled by means of both sexes in a complementary relationship with each other. And to be honest with you, if you remove one of the sexes, whether it's man or woman, you diminish the imago day completely. Because it is in both man and woman we find the imago day and God's design. So Adam was given a helper who was the same as him, equal in value and equal in worth, but distinct in function. Genesis 1 and 2 teach us that men and women are equal in all three of those, and it is also true that they are distinct in God's complementary design in order to fulfill both the cultural mandate and in the New Testament, the Great Commission. What's interesting is when we get to this idea of complementary design, we actually see this before we even get to man and woman. I don't want to take away from uh, Dwayne. This week we were talking about this sermon and he gave me this uh, insight. Um, when we see creation, what we find is complementary aspects that are given. Right? When we walk through this creation account, we see that day is given night, sun is given moon, water has fish, the sky has its birds, the land has its animals. Every part of creation has a complementary aspect to it in order to show off God's glory. We find in Genesis 2, Adam did not have anything that was the same as him. Someone that was complementary to him, that shared in the mission that God had given. And he could not complete the task that was given to him. And so we see at the end of Genesis 2, when Adam sees Eve for the first time, What's interesting is that we notice, right, he's he's doing his work, right? He is naming the animals, right? He, I mean, he he starts going lion, tiger, duckbill, platypus, lizard, s- snake, whatever it might be, he he is naming and, and, and fulfilling the task he's been given. But what this was also reflecting was he was saying, not like me, not like me, not like me. And then what happens? God puts him to sleep. And from his side, he creates woman. And you look back at what Adam's response is, right? What does he say? He says, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. He breaks out, if you notice in the scriptures, there's stanzas which highlight that he's breaking out into song. He's overjoyed that there's finally someone like him of likeness and sameness that can help him complete the task God has given. And so we see that God in creation has created male and female equal in value, dignity, worth, and distinct in functions and forms. But then we go on to see in verse 28 and 29, God blesses creation and he commands them. Right? Look back at chapter 1, verse 28 and 29. We see this here. It says, and God blessed them and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on earth. God's goodness and mercy to mankind is shown here in these two verses. The beginning statement of verse 28 is a revelation to us of God's character. It's a statement of his goodness and mercy and kindness to his creation, to mankind. God blessed them. As H.B. Charles Jr. says, From the moment of creation, God has l- l- shown us his compassion towards us by blessing us. No other part of creation do we see this divine blessing being showered upon. It's also a statement about our chief end. right? As the Westminster Shorter Catechism asks the question, What is man's chief end? To glorify God and enjoy him forever. And this is what we see in verses 28 and 29. That we have been blessed by God to enjoy Him, to glorify Him. This is what we've been created for. We have received this deb- divine blessing from Him As Paul tells us in Ephesians 1, 3, and 4, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. So God blesses mankind. But we also see that in these blessings, he gives a command And what we see in this command is God's affirmation of his divine revelation. God is revealing something about himself in these commands. He's revealing that he has divine authority, and he's revealing that he has divine purpose for mankind. Divine authority shows us that we are not in charge, that we are not our own, that we are made by God and for God. As the Heidelberg Catechism opens up and says, My one comfort both in life and death is that I am not my own. So God's command here is an affirmation of his divine authority, but it's also an affirmation of his divine purpose for mankind. We find in both Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 that men and women are given tasks in verse 28 and 29, we see that these tasks are to be fruitful and to multiply, to fill the earth and subdue it, and to have dominion over creation. God's command in Genesis 1 and then in Genesis 2 flesh out these blessings that He, have, he has given to them. And oftentimes, we like to think that blessings don't come from commands, right? Right? Oftentimes, we like to think that blessings come from freedom and autonomy. But here in the creation account, blessings flow from all that God has connected to his commands. Psalm 1 describes this blessed man, right? Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits at the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in what? The law of the Lord. And in that law, he meditates both day and night. The blessing is connected to his commands, is connected to what he has called mankind to do. Now we also find in Genesis 2 verses 15 through 17 that these tasks that he's given, these commands have different functions for both men and women. He's given both men and women the command to be fruitful and multiply, to subdue and have dominion over the earth together as co-laborers in the garden. But as we zoom in on the creation of man and then the creation of woman, we find that God has given man a task and women a task, or woman a task. And I want you to see this, because this is important. Because what we find here in Genesis 2 is that we are before the fall, right? And it's important for us to recognize because some like to make claims that roles and distinctions and functions of both men and women only come after the fall. It's only after the distortion of sin that we get these roles and distinctions. But here in Genesis 2:15 through 17, we find that pre-fall, there are distinct tasks and roles in the work of the life in the garden. Men and women are given joint roles over creation, but different tasks that we find. Adam, the man, is called to name the creatures. He's called to work and to cultivate the garden and to keep it. This phrase here, work, or if you have the NASB, and I think the NIV says, cultivate the garden and to keep it. These words are only used one other time. And it's found when God gives his command to Moses on how the Levitical priesthood is to Keep and protect the temple. And we find that in the garden, Adam was to be a priest of the garden. He was given the priestly role to maintain the holiness of the garden. That's why it's so important for us to recognize that it wasn't Eve that sinned, right? It was Adam who didn't lead his wife well because he was supposed to be the priest showing the holiness of the garden and keeping it and working it in that way. That's why when after the fall, God comes to the garden, who does he call? He doesn't call Eve, right? He calls Adam. And then we find that woman was not given this same task to keep and to work the garden, but she was given the task of being fruitful and multiplying. They were both tasked in this, But we find, even in Genesis 3, the task of women bearing children to being a helper to the male. These are the tasks that are given to each distinct, but ultimately for the purpose of the cultural mandate and to bring glory to God in the garden. And we'll cover this next week coming uh, in the next couple weeks when we get to the fall but in it what we find is that these roles and tasks are still present but they change in degree after the fall what we see in the fall is a corruption of the original arrangement of both relationships and tasks Men and women experience the curse in their fundamental act of responsibilities and the wholeness and vulnerability between man and woman. And that becomes fractured because of sin and because of the curse. And the reason I wanted to point this out again is because God blesses mankind. Both men and women creates them equal, distinct, and with a task to steward creation as co-laborers. He's designed us with the sameness And with beautiful distinctions that help us complete this task of the cultural mandate and the great commission that then flows into the New Testament. And the reason I point out these tasks and roles is because we need each other in these distinctions in order to fulfill God's beautiful design for his church and for his creation. One of the greatest ways that I've actually seen this equal in worth and value and dignity as well as different in functions, the way that I've seen this play itself out in our church, the life of our church, as well as you know relationships here. I mean, you could easily say he's probably going to talk about uh, childbirth. Right? That that would be an easy example. But what I want to do is I actually want to highlight, and they've given me permission for this. I want to highlight one of our families in this church. It's Greg and Ange, and it does think that she's not here because I'm highlighting her more than Greg, and he knows this. Um, But actually what I've found in this Wright family is this beautiful depiction of God's beautiful design. If you've ever been around the Wrights long enough, you know that what I'm about to say is true. And Greg and I joke about this a lot. Ange has this natural ability to nurture. And what I mean by that is she can have a conversation with you and your life and be so intrusive without recognizing she's being so intrusive and you don't think anything of it. You just think, this is, this is the right conversation I'm supposed to have. But if anybody else were to ask those questions, especially Greg, we'd lose a lot of you guys. You may not ever come back to the church. Anne just has this nurturing ability and it is a wonderful gift to not only her family but also to us as the church Now, not to leave Greg high and dry. Honestly, men, if you want to learn from a man who is wise and is a God-fearing father and husband who not only is super athletic, but also will do whatever is needed to provide for his family, not just financially, but emotionally and spiritually, then you need to get his phone number and take him out to coffee. But these roles and distinctions that both Greg and Ange have, and, and not just them, there are plenty of you in here, men and women in this church, both married and single, who have distinct functions and equal value and worth that bring things to the table that help this design that God has given us work in this church. And this is what it's supposed to look like. Inside the church is what this world is supposed to see. And it's supposed to be beautiful. And it's supposed to be something that the world can't quite get a grasp of, can't quite understand how we operate inside of this family of God. And this goes back to our cultural mandate and it connects with our great commission. We have been uniquely designed as men and women, equal, distinct, and with value for the glory of God and the mission of God to bring about the growth of his kingdom. But we can't do this separated from each other. We can't do this if we only silo ourselves. If we're only going to say, you know what, we're going to put all the married people in this group, we're all going to put all the single people in this group, kids over here, you know, families with one kid over here, families with three kids over here, we we can't do that. God's beautiful design is for all of us to come together with our unique gifts and talents for the Great Commission and the cultural mandate in order for the world around us to see this beautiful design. So that's the first thing. We are, we are made by God and for God. But we're also made by God and for one another. And I promise I'm going to fly through these last two. <laughs> now that we've seen that men and women are created by God and for God to complete the task of the cultural mandate and to fulfill the Great Commission, I want us to see from Genesis 1 and 2 God's beautiful design of creation for both male and female is a depiction of one, the first marriage, and a story of humanity and a story of God's people. Right? We, we love to take these passages and we read them in, uh, in weddings, which is beautiful. It's right. This is the first marriage that we see. John Calvin puts it like this. Something was taken from Adam in order that he might embrace with greater benevolence a part of himself. Adam may have lost a rib, but he gained a far richer reward since he obtained a faithful associate of life. For, now, for he now saw himself, who had been imperfect, rendered complete in his wife. That's a beautiful picture of marriage. And so this is what we see in Genesis 1 and 2, this beautiful marriage happening. But we also see a beautiful story of humanity and a story of God's people. So real quickly, we have to remember the context of Genesis, right? The people of God. Moses is writing to, and he's writing to show them, hey, this is how God brought us about. This is how God brought all of mankind about. And this is the beginning of creation. This is where the story comes from. Moses is tracing the identity of Israel back to the creation account and showing that this long family line, this is where it started. And this is important for us to recognize today and maybe even try to get our minds around this understanding that all of us have come from a single mother and a single father, Adam and Eve. If we can begin to think about this in a way that, this, the, way that the story unfolds, and I actually think the way that Israel would have seen this story unfold, then we can see that all mankind is made in the image of God with worth and value and dignity coming from the same parents and that in a very shallow way, and maybe even in a deeper way, we can say that all of us are brothers and sisters coming from the same family line. And the reason why this is important is that when we are in relationship with family, good relationship with family, it's a lot easier to give people the benefit of the doubt. It's a lot easier to show humility and compassion to one another. It is a lot easier to see someone with value and, and, and worth and dignity when we recognize this truth and this is why it's so important for us to understand that this is the story of humanity and this is the image of God in others and that we all come from the same parenting line and that this should this love and this care should overflow and extend to one another around us now I also want to talk about the church See, there's two categories of brothers and sisters that we're going to find within Scripture and and within life, right? There's all mankind that I just talked about, but then there's a special family relationship that is unlike mankind, or to say it better, is the greater family that mankind doesn't give us. The church is made up of brothers and sisters as the people of God and the family of God. And we find in scriptures the predominant relationship in the church between men and women is the relationship of brother and sister, not subordinates. These relationships should be marked by honor and care and sacrifice for one another. You see, in the fall, back in Genesis 3, we see this fracturing of relationships between men and women because of sin. And it's only by the blood of Christ that we are made whole and complete with God, which then allows us to have relationships good and right with one another. So this vertical relationship with God needs to be brought back through the blood of Christ and that then allows us to have good and right relationships with those around us, the the horizontal relationships of mankind, especially the people of God in the church. And we, the people of God, chosen by his grace, not anything that we've done, not any work to earn his favor, but through his love, he saved us and made us whole and brought us into this family that means that there is a greater degree of responsibility that we have as the people of God to honor and submit to one another as brothers and sisters in the family of God that we don't necessarily do for our family outside now hear me we still have responsibilities to honor brothers and sisters of mankind because they are also made in the image of God But there is a greater degree of responsibility when it comes to your brothers and sisters in this room who are part of the family of God. That's why membership is so important for us. That's why we talk about covenant language when it comes to membership here. Because we want to recognize that it's not just those who say, hey, we're believers, which is true. But it's also about those who have made a covenant relationship With this church and with one another that we seek to fulfill the 53 one another's in the New Testament. So how do we relate to one another? Really quickly, I want to go to Ephesians 5. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open there. We're going to be in Ephesians 5 starting in verse 15 down to verse 21. Here we find a comprehensive vision for how brothers and sisters in Christ are supposed to interact with one another. You see, this, this passage sometimes gets hijacked for just husbands and wives, which is partly true. We find responsibilities for husbands and wives here, but the zenith of this passage and what these roles are bound up in, in the, is the gospel. This is the mystery that Paul talks about at the end of Ephesians 5. When he says, I'm saying it refers to Christ and his church. Now, I'm not one to often bring up the Greek, mostly because I don't study Greek very much. But I was doing some studying this week, and I found this, these phrases, these verses, to be very unique to what we're talking about this morning. And I think it'll be very helpful for us to understand. So here in this passage, the Greek verbs are not their own, right? So they get tacked on to other verbs. Um, a good example of where this happens in the New Testament, <clears throat> most of us know this, is Matthew 28, where the Great Commission says, go and make disciples, right? Or we might have heard it say, as you are going, make disciples. But in reality, Matthew 28, the only verb in that verse is disciple. So going, baptizing, teaching, all are words that get tacked on to how you make disciples. So following the strain of logic in verse 18, this is what we see. So in verse 18, there's a prohibition. Don't get drunk with wine. What's the reason for that? Because it's debauchery. The verb in these verses is to be filled with the Holy Spirit, or be filled with the Holy Spirit. That is the verb. So every other verb that we see in our English language is actually tacked on to that in Greek. So this is how it would read. The way that you are filled with the Spirit is by addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. The way that you are filled with the Spirit is by singing and making melody. Not for all of us, but mostly those who can sing well. You don't want me doing that. Um, The way you're filled with the Spirit is by giving thanks in all things. And then finally, the way that you are filled with the Spirit is by submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. All of this has to do with gratitude and unity that we have as the body of Christ and the family of God filled with the Holy Spirit. So then we get to verse 22, and maybe this brings a little bit more, even more clarification of what it's supposed to look like inside the home and work, right? Because then Paul follows it up by saying, when we get to verse 22, this is what it means to submit. Wives to husbands, husbands to wives, parents to children, yeah, sorry, children to parents, parents don't exacerbate your children, slaves to masters, masters to slaves. So this submission is not just a marriage example, but how we as believers relate to one another in the family of God because of the gospel and because we are filled with the Spirit. And I truly believe that if we can have this posture of submission and charity with one another and seek to give people the benefit of the doubt, especially when they're in the family of God, we will accomplish far more than we set out to do or far more than we are right now. We need each other, and how we relate to one another is through mutual submission led by the Spirit, both men and women, married and single, who are co-laborers seeking to fill the cultural mandate in Great Commission, and this will look countercultural to the world, especially right now, where everybody seems to be talking over and past each other, where nobody wants to give anybody the benefit of the doubt, nobody wants to step into a certain place and be able to understand what somebody else is saying, by having this posture of submission, especially inside the church towards one another, even if we don't agree with them, we will look countercultural to the world. And finally... This belief is formed by understanding that we are made by God and for others. We are to be a light in the darkness. And I've talked about this multiple times throughout this sermon, so I'm going to make this quick. Jesus tells us in John 13, 35, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for who? One another. It is one another. It is how we live inside the church that then gets overflowed into this world. And that this is how we are able to show the light of the gospel into dark places. And this is seen throughout Scripture, right? This is an ethic of both the Old Testament and the New Testament. The people of God were called to live differently amongst themselves. And this should be something that we strive to live for so that the world sees this as beautiful and persuasive and it extends to them and they long to be a part of it. As Richard Phillips puts it, we are the people of God's covenant of grace so that the nations would be blessed. So the story of creation in Genesis should give us, the church, great redemptive purpose to be a light in a dark and dying world. I want to close with this. I know that some of you in here this morning come with hurt, come with pain, suffered maybe even from this doctrine that we're discussing this morning. People who have called themselves Christians, who are a part of the church, that have sinned against you. But this is not God's beautiful design. When the church acts like it's true design, it is the true and better family than we have here on earth. Because you're connected to the people of God. And there is something special about that, guys. When the church operates in a way that God has designed it to be, it shows the world around them God's beautiful design for both men and women to flourish. Father dies in another country and his daughter has to drive to see him on his last days. I've seen the church around her and her family as their own. The world sees this. When a family keeps trying to get pregnant and can't, And they're even reminded on days like this or even Father's Day. I've seen the church surround them in love and care like their own. The world sees this. When a single in the church who has longed to be married for so long still can't find a spouse, I've seen the church step into their loneliness and surround them and fill in that space with community and presence that only the people of God can. The world sees this. I've seen children have more than just their parents' love on them, adore them. And the world sees this. So many examples that I could give you from this church that when the people of God see the way the Bible points to how men and women are designed and how men and women are utilized to flourish then the world sees this and the church is taken serious and God's design is beautiful and attractive. And so I hope that we can take this design serious. I hope that we can understand that as a church, we are a city set on a hill. We are the lights of the world and the world will know that we are his disciples by how we love one another. We are made by God, for God, in the purpose of co-laboring together, showing off his beautiful design that he has for both men and women in order for the light of the gospel to shine in dark places. And one of the ways that we get to do this every week is through communion, where we recognize that the blood of Christ has made us brothers and sisters in the family of God. And so we're going to take partake in that this morning and as we partake in this I just want us to reflect and remember and and to be able to look around right when you see a brother and sister taking communion what that should signify to you is hey they are the people of God they are my brother they are my sister bought by the blood of the lamb so let's take Let's partake in this this morning and celebrate what Christ has done for us by bringing us into the family of God and let's continue to worship him in song. I'm going to close in prayer. Lord, thank you for your beautiful design. Thank you that through your creation we see that men and women are created with worth and value and dignity and we are given distinctness in order to complement one another. In order for your cultural mandate and for your great commission to be played out in this world. And so Lord, my prayer this morning is that we as a church would take this seriously. That we would seek to honor and love and care for one another. Seek to uplift, to outdo, to submit to one another. Out of reverence for Christ. Because we know that our vertical relationship, our vertical need of sin, fracturing our relationship with God has been given to us in Christ. Our our relationship has been restored. And so Lord, because of that restoration, we then can seek out these horizontal relationships with one another in the church, and outside. And Lord, when we do this as the church, we put your glory and your design on display for the world around you, around us. Let's Lord, help us to be a city set on a hill. Help us to love one another so that the world can see we are your disciples. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to a sermon from the District Church. For more information about us, please visit www.thedistrict.church. Additionally, if any of our sermons have brought encouragement to you, would you please let us know by emailing us at infothedistrict.church? At